Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 10th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by a special guest, Ben Shapiro, who has a fascinating piece in The Standard today, How Conservatives Can Win Back Young Americans. First of all, thanks for joining me, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Your life interesting these days? Uh, every day is an adventure, man. Every single day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the the generation gap, this whole question. Because I think that a lot of folks, um, there's, there's two reactions that I, that I get. Number one, that, oh, don't worry about the generation gap, because we've always had a generation gap. Everybody starts off uh, liberal and they become more conservative um, versus people who say, yeah, there's just no way you're ever going to get young people back. So your piece is an answer to both of those objections. Let's start with how serious the generation gap is and whether or not conservatives should be worried long term. So I, I think the generation gap is obviously pretty serious. Conservatives should be worried long term unless they start trying to understand what's driving it. So the polls actually show that 41 percent of millennials, uh, according to a Pew Research study from June 2017, consider themselves mostly or consistently liberal in their views in 2004. In 2011, that was 38 percent. But by 2017, that number was 57 percent. So that is a massive increase just in the last seven in the last six, seven years in the number of millennials who are considering themselves uh, people of the left. A March 2018 Pew study on generation gap in American politics found that among Generation Xers, 29% considered themselves liberal in 1994. Today, that number is 43%. So it's the generation gap is not just people who are young now. It's also people who are young 20 years ago and who have stayed on the left. So the, the problem is- So they're not, the they're not, they're people, not coming around. They're, this exactly. is not something they're growing out of. They, right. They're not evolving into Republicans, right? What, what happened in the last election cycle is that people who had been Republicans remained Republicans and people who had been Democrats remained Democrats. And then it was a turnout game. But this idea that the inevitably people who are 20, when if you're 20 and you're liberal uh, and you're conservative, you have no heart. But if you're 40 and you're conservative then and, and liberal, then you have no brain. You know, that that basic idea is is not really true. People sort of make up their minds now where they're going to be when they're in their 20s. And then they seem to stay there forever, uh, at least in, in modern times. Uh, so that's you know, that that's what the polls tend to show. That should obviously be deeply worrying to conservatives who are looking at the poll breakdown right now on who is conservative and who is of the left because millennials are very, very heavily to the left uh, and believe a lot of very leftist things on everything ranging from economics to social issues. Yeah, and this explains the the historic parallels that you draw, that in the past, uh, Republicans have managed to win by pointing out the extremism of the, the Democrats, you know, that they have become too left-wing. But as you point out, the Democratic Party seems to be moving to the left, and that's not hurting them. And you have a very interesting line early on in this piece why do polls show Republicans facing likely defeat in coming elections? Why are the trend lines so awful? The problem you write isn't politics, it's values. Talk to me about yeah. that. Well, I think that one of the things that people are, are getting wrong in sort of the Republican halls of power uh, is the is the idiotic idea that if you just talk about Social Security, you're going to get all the young people to jump to you. That what 18-year-olds what really want to hear about is Social Security privatization. And I've talked to Paul Ryan about this. I love Paul Ryan for a lot of reasons, but this is one thing I think that is just a mistake. Talking to young people about policy is not really the way that you're going to get them to vote for you. The reason that a lot of young people don't identify as conservative is because they think that conservatives are racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes who hate science. And that's been a myth promulgated by the left. But in essence, when you are young, how you decide to vote is largely based on what you get to say to your friends. And what you're going to say to your friends is not going to be anything about social security. It's going to be I feel good about voting for X candidate because this candidate is a good person or wants good things or is trying to do good things. And that means that there's a gap between older conservatives and younger conservatives even on these issues. So older conservatives tend to vote more on policy and younger conservatives tend to vote more on character. 
And I think there are a lot of reasons for that, but it, it reflects itself very largely in, in the variant feelings about President Trump. So you know, older conservatives are very much in Trump's camp. They appreciate his political wins. Uh, they're even willing to grant a halo effect to his character because they like his politics so much. Younger conservatives tend to be extraordinarily Trump skeptical. There was a poll that showed that, that conservatives aged 18 to 24 over 80% of them wanted Trump primaried in 2020. And I think five total conservatives over the age of 60 wanted Trump primaried in 2020. Um, that, that gap is, is pretty wide and it goes to how people view politics. Now, I don't think that it's that conservatives who are older are right or conservatives who are younger are right. I think they have two very different views because they're speaking to two different audiences. When you're 60 and you're talking to other 60 year olds, everyone has a, a formed view of what character is supposed to mean in politics. But when you're 20, then again, when you're talking with your friends and the people you go to school with, what you want to be able to say to them is, I'm voting for this person because I think this person is a good person. This person is a better person. And I'm a better person for having voted for this person. It's, it, the, the people who are 20 mm -hmm. are still fighting a character battle. The people who are 60, they fought that character battle with Clinton and they lost. And so they well, basically talk, said, talk okay. about this. This, this is interesting because you, you, you have a, a section where you talk about how differently the generations looked at the 2016 election, that older conservatives who had gone through the you know character counts battle and lost back in the 1990s, saw Hillary Clinton as the end of the republic. This was the Flight 93 election. Young people had a very different point of view. Right. So I think that a lot of people who are older, and you heard this from a lot of talk show hosts, were saying that at the end of this road was perdition, right? If Hillary were elected, it was the end of the country. There would be no further elections. Everyone would die. The, the entire world would devolve into chaos. There was no way to win another election ever again. A lot of younger conservatives said, well, hold up a second. Like, well, we're, we're young, and we see that there is going to be a longer road out here. And one of the things we're worried about is that President Trump is personally rather toxic. And there's a possibility that he's going to toxify conservatism for the foreseeable future with people who are our age. And I think that there was some truth, again, in both statements. I don't think the country was going to end if Hillary Clinton had been elected. I think she would have done a lot of terrible things. In fact, I'm very happy with a lot of how President Trump has governed, even if I'm not happy with the man's character. But one of the things that, that I think that young conservatives were looking at and is still on the table here is the possibility that Trump's personal problems, his personal character flaws, that those would actually lead a lot of people away from conservatism, even if his policy is good. Well, let's talk about this. You know, why don't young conservatives like, like Trump? It's not that the young conservatives are liberals. What is it that he is doing or not doing that has turned them off? Uh, so I think that what, what the reason young conservatives are not Trump friendly, particularly, uh, has a lot to do with the, the image he projects and the things that he says. Uh, it's not that they dislike his policies. They tend to like his policies. It's that when President Trump says something they can't defend to their friends and then their parents are telling them, well, just defend him it's very difficult for young conservatives to do that. So what I hear from a lot of young conservatives, and I speak at dozens of college campuses a year, is you know when President Trump says what he's gonna say about Charlottesville, and you're 21 and you're at college, and your friends are saying, can you believe what that guy said about Charlottesville? What are you supposed to do? Say, no, I thought that was great. Or, well, yeah, there was tax policy. Or, you know, the guy's not that articulate. You know, that's stuff that he just says. What, what you really wanna say is, you know, Mr. President, you gotta do better. You gotta do better. Remember, who people talk to is how they vote. You know, and, and this is, I think, what we need to recall. Older people have a different view of politics because they've been around for longer, they've been through more, and because, frankly, their views on politics have been shaped by the past, including the Clinton administration. Younger conservatives didn't, they don't remember Bill Clinton, okay? The majority of young conservatives at this point were not born during the Clinton era. Uh, and so there are a lot of them who are, who are sitting around going, okay, I don't remember Bill Clinton when you said the character didn't matter, but then we heard that for, for 16 years, character did matter. And now you're saying character doesn't matter again. And that puts me in a real awkward spot with my friends who are now looking at Trump and saying, look at that guy who's paying off porn stars to stay silent. How can you, 
How can you be okay with that? Now, you, you you have been associated with the fight against political correctness. And one of the things that we hear, you know, fed back to us all the time is that, okay, so Donald Trump has all these problems, but he is our hammer and he is politically incorrect. He is fighting against political correctness. And isn't that enough for the Ben Shapiros and other young conservatives of the world to rally around him? So I think that there are a lot of, of young conservatives uh, who appreciate the fact that Trump is politically incorrect. What they don't appreciate is that Trump tends to conflate being a being a boob sometimes being politically incorrect. So he'll say things that are just outright nasty and have nothing to do with violating taboos of political correctness that ought to be violated. See, I think that there there is this this widespread view that political correctness was so bad that somebody had to come along and shatter political correctness. I think that's exactly right. But the question is, how do you best shatter political correctness? Do you do this by violating every taboo or do you correct this by violating the taboos that politically correct people hold most dear without actually just being a jerk? You know, when, when President Trump, for example, would, would say about a Mexican judge, that, that a judge who was not even Mexican, right, it was an American, uh, that this Mexican judge was incapable of, of being impartial in his case because of his immigration position, and then he was questioned about it, he would say, well, listen, I'm not going to be politically correct here. And young, older conservatives went, well, yeah, political correctness sucks. He should be able to say whatever he wants. And it's great that he's saying things, even if what he's saying is not really good or correct. And younger conservatives said, well, you know, there's a difference between being politically incorrect and just being a jerk. And you're actually undermining my ability to argue against political correctness when you conflate the two. Because then all my friends say, well, you know, if my choice is between being politically correct or being a jerk, I'll pick being politically correct every time. So, so uh, okay, you get another line that I that really jumped out at me, which is that the young people um, are not judging Trump. They've already judged Trump. They are judging you. They're judging others by how they react to Trump. And that for Republicans, this is going to be the problem going forward that people are going to say, all right, if you don't have a problem with the president's behavior that you you just listed, then what does that say about you and your values? So w- what do you say? What what will it take to win young conservatives back? So I think that what it'll take is, number one, a recognition on the policy side that young conservatives are more libertarian than their elders. Uh, they're not as interested in government intervention on issues ranging from same-sex marriage to marijuana, although they are pretty pro-life. Young conservatives are very, very pro-life. And, in fact, and pro-gun, debates, right? And pro-gun. Uh, they seem to be swinging in that direction. Uh, but I- as far as sort of the character issues, I think for older conservatives to win younger conservatives around for 2020, one thing that's going to have to happen is older conservatives are going to have to say to younger conservatives, listen, we get your concerns on the character front. We love all the policy. We get your concerns as well, right? We understand that Trump is not King David, right? That, that King David was actually somebody who had to repent. We understand that Trump has character flaws. We're going to vote for him anyway because Everybody has character flaws in, in these elections, and we and we we like his policy and the damage that's been done on the character grounds has already been done largely, and we know what we're getting. But you know, I'm not going to pretend that Trump is something that he's not. I think one of the things that's off-putting to a lot of young conservatives and young people in general is a, a feeling that the people are being disingenuous with them, that they're they're greenlighting behavior they would never greenlight because they like President Trump's policy, and I think that's unnecessary. I think you can cognitive you can be you can hold the cognitive dissonance. You can say. Donald Trump has character problems, and you can also say that you like a lot of what he's done as president, uh, and and still be seen as as a rational figure. So, what what are the arguments you 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 mention? You know that emphasizing religious freedom and and the and the ways that people the conservatives continue to push religious freedom, freedom of speech, um, small government. These are still issues that young people haven't haven't broken bad on permanently. Correct? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that young young people are not as religious as their elders, but they are certainly more libertarian than their elders. So when you make the case that everybody should basically leave each other alone, 
that's a winning case. I don't think it's a winning case anymore in America to make the case that the government should re-legislate traditional marriage. I do think that it is a winning case to say the government should not be legislating what you do in the privacy of your church and how you operate your business. The government should leave everybody alone so that we have our own you know, sphere of privacy. I think that that is a winning argument among young people, I found. So you spend time on college campuses. I, I think I've read that. I think there have been some stories about your visits to uh, college campus. What is it like to be a conservative on a college campus today, L- leaving aside just the, the normal issues of liberal in, in, intolerance? How, how has the how has the Trump era um, affected conservatives on campus? So I think that a, a lot of conservatives on campus have been emboldened by the fact that Republicans are in charge of the White House. They feel a lot more confident. Um, by the same token, I think a lot of conservatives are feeling pretty conflicted about the fact that Trumpism has come to define the party, at least attitudinally. Uh, it, what's interesting, though, is I, I think that a lot of my own fears on this score have been alleviated. When you ask young people who's the thought leader of the Republican Party, very few of them are saying Donald Trump is the thought leader of the Republican Party. More of them are saying that various sort of intellectual leaders in the Republican Party and in the conservative movement are the people who are defining how they think. Who, who do they name? An, uh, who, who, who do they say are the thought leaders? Um, you know, uh, the, the people who are popular. Well, I'm, I don't Other want to be self-grandizing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but uh, the, aside from me, because I speak a lot on campus, mm-hmm. so they see a lot of me. Um, but I, I would say they, they think that uh, Jonah Goldberg is somebody who's very popular mm-hmm. on campuses. Um, I would say that uh, a lot of them are, are fans of Mike Pence more than they are of President Trump. Um, I, I think that they're, uh, I'm trying to, to think of some yeah. of the other folks who, who they, they find interesting. Jordan Peterson comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, there's, a, a, I think, a, a pretty good variety of names you know, in terms of folks they listen to. Uh, and and they, they range in terms of career choice as well. Like a lot of them are Steven Crowder listeners, right? And Steven's a comedian. Uh, so it's, it's, it's sort of fascinating to hear. Um, but I think that more of them see Trump as a vehicle than they see Trump as sort of the, the philosophical leader of the movement, which I think is actually a very good thing because I think that's a more realistic view of what Trump is, actually. Well, yeah, that, that's one of the ways that a lot of people, of course, have rationalized. But, you know, people like Jonah Goldberg, who's been very, very successful, is 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 a, a, a never Trump pariah among much of the conservative establishment. So as you run through the list, with the exception of Pence, maybe we could come back to him because I don't really see him as the great, great hope of the of you know, of young conservative voters, but um, you're, you're you're actually talking about you know f- folks who are kind of hanging on by their fingernails in the mainstream of the conservative movement, but 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 are actually really resonating among younger voters. Well, this is the this is the generation gap, right? And and again, I think it's because a lot of older voters have, in reactionary fashion, decided to attribute a certain halo to Trump's character, and younger voters don't see that. So, younger voters have an easier time with the, I'm you know sometimes Trump. Older voters tend to go like there are sort of two positions during the election, right? There was the there were the 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 always Trumpers and there were the never Trumpers. And then after the election, there are really three categories. There's the 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 always Trumpers. There's the sometimes Trumpers and there are the never Trumpers. And I would put Jonah more in the category of sometimes Trumper than I would never Trumper just because when Trump does something right, Jonah is happy to praise them. I put myself in the category of sometimes Trumper. I mean, in the sense that, again, you know, if the election were held today, I'd probably vote for President Trump because I think that President, a lot of the fears I had about him policy wise have been alleviated. And a lot of the damage that he's done character wise has already been done. And I'm not sure it can be undone. Uh, so. That, I think, the, the sometimes Trump position is, is the more popular one among young conservatives, but always Trump is the more popular one, one among, among older conservatives. And so when you say things like, I like Trump's policy, but I think that he has a garbage record with women, a lot of older conservatives get very upset about that, even though I think that's pretty obvious. You know, I think that's pretty eminently true. You, you, you mentioned that one of the, the values that's really baked in among uh, young people, and including young conservatives, is tolerance. 
that the tolerance is that is a consensus position. And that also seems to be somewhat out of step with uh, the Trumpian consensus. Uh, well, I think that that's I think that's that's pretty much right. I, when when I talk about tolerance, I think that that's where the libertarian aspect of the younger conservative movement comes in, and where young people really are more generally. They've grown up in an era where tolerance was seen as the highest virtue, and for conservatives, that can boil down to libertarianism, right? That can boil down to I'll tolerate your views, but you have to tolerate my views and leave me alone. Uh, for a lot of older conservatives, uh, they who, who I think have felt the sting of of the left for a long time, uh, there's a there's sometimes more reactionary tendency. Like if we, if we tolerate the left, they're gonna come after us. And there's some truth to that. But I also think that that's not a way to build a, a, an actual long lasting movement is, is with the constant suggestion that, uh, that there are people out there to get you and therefore you have to use the power at hand in order to curb them. You know, some people are gonna be surprised by your a little bit uh, earlier when we were talking about uh, what characterizes young conservatives. Uh, people are gonna be surprised by the fact that they are very pro-life, as you described, and very pro-gun. Why would that be? Why would this generation be pro-life? Well, they're pro-life because the science has just advanced in their lifetimes. Like, so there's been a, a real tremendous shift. Amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a tremendous amount, right? I mean, because when I was growing up, you know, the, the ultrasounds that you saw typically were blobs, right? They looked like just the, this random agglomeration of, of magnetic, magnetic images. Um, but now... You've got these three ultrasounds coming out, and the, and the vision inside the womb is so uh, incredible now that it's very easy to say to your friends, even as a college student, um, guys, here's a picture. Right? <laughs> like that's, it's, a, it's a pretty good proof. Um, and I think that a lot of young conservatives are very solid, more solid on, on pro-life issues than they were uh, even at first. As far as pro-gun, I think that, again, comes down to the libertarian point, which is I don't want the government telling me what to do in any sphere of my life, and so the government's going to have to leave me alone with regard to this sort of stuff as well. This is why I say I think that a conservative libertarian merger is going to be the future of conservatism. But I think that what conservatism still has to teach libertarianism uh, is that personal virtue outside the realm of government is deeply important. And what libertarianism has to teach conservatism is half the stuff you thought government could do, it can't. It stinks at. Okay, so bottom line, conservatives are really in trouble with young people, but there is a road out. How realistic – you've written a piece about what conservatives could do to get young people back. How optimistic are you that that will in fact actually happen? Um, you know, I, I'm actually more optimistic than I used to be. I think that the left has gone so far that a lot of be, a lot of people are now being opened up to this sort of conservative libertarian, let's have a conversation idea. And that's really great. Uh, I, the, the left has, has gone so far in, in the direction of identity politics, that they're alienating a lot of people who are just young and, and want to hear arguments. Uh, and and that's wonderful. That that's not a credit to the right. It's it's a it's a you know a, a debasement of the left. Um, with, with that said, I think that Republicans generally are going to and conservatives are going to have to start recognizing that the the arguments that generally convince are not the policy arguments. They are the character arguments. And Republicans were given a gift in 2016. The character of Hillary Clinton was so mm-hmm. horrifying that that allowed them to overlook the character of President Trump in a lot of ways because her character was horrifying and they disagreed with her politics. Um, if, if in 2020 the Democrats are smart, they'll run somebody who's squeaky clean uh, and then you know they'll, and then they'll make the case that they need to bring back the soul of the country, sort of like Jimmy Carter ran in 1976 after, after the, the Nixon 40 years. So what happens uh, I, I then? What happens then? How, how do conservatives win the argument of character if they have Donald Trump at the top of the ticket and somebody like that at the top of the ticket for the Democrats? I mean, I think that at that point, it's going to be difficult. I think in that particular election, it's going to be very difficult for them to win. I think that at that point, it's going to be, you know, troubling. But I think that 
here, here's what I, I learned from the 2016 election on this score. What I learned in the 2016 election is that there is no actual conservative movement. There, there are some conservative hmm. thinkers who disagree with each other, but there's no broad-based consensus about anything from politics to character. There's, there's an anti-left movement that is a lot right. broader. Let's put it this way. There's an anti-left movement that's a lot broader than the conservative movement. You know, they're, they're not quite concentric circles, but the overlap is, is pretty great. Uh, and the anti-left movement is really big, and the, and the conservative, kind of traditionally conservative movement is actually relatively small. What that means is that if somebody is selected for the top of the ticket, you know, in 2024, for example, or 2028, who is conservative and also can fight, right, also has some of the attitudinal as, uh, um, aspects of President Trump, somebody who actually is aggressive out there and is willing to fight the fight, but also doesn't come along with all the baggage, then I think that you could see a restoration of, of character. But I think that, again, with, with Trump at the top of the ticket, it's going to be very difficult to make the case to young people, particularly, that this is a character-filled party. That's just do you, do, do you see anybody like that? Okay, the post-Trump. Let's let's pretend that we've 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 moved to 2024. Is there anybody you have your eye on who might actually fill that bill? You know, it's it's a, it's a pretty specific skill set. There there are most yeah. people who I think are honest, but they need to cultivate sort of the fighting instinct. So Mike Lee in the Senate, I think, is great, but I think he needs to cultivate more of the the fighting instinct. Um, I think that um, there are a couple of Congress people who I think are are quite good, but you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to spot right now because the the sun of Trump is so bright that it's actually blotting out other possible sources of light, right? Everything sort of revolves around Trump and uh, Nikki Haley. I think would be a good a good example of somebody who has an aggressive instinct and also is uh, is seen as a person of character. Uh, so Nikki Haley would be certainly at the top of the list. Uh, yeah, she, 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 that would that would go a long way to changing the image of the Republican Party. Uh, ben Shapiro, thank you so much. I know you're very, very busy today and I uh, really appreciate time uh, taking time out. Uh, uh, you know, your piece, How Conservatives Can Win Back Young Americans is an extraordinarily important piece. And it's one of those pieces that I think is going to help reframe this uh, this 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 question for a lot of readers. You can find that at the Weekly Standard again. Uh, thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're listening, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow. <laughs>